This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates. Our aim is to help you on your investing journey, breaking down the barriers from beginning to dividend. Whether you're an absolute beginner or Warren Buffett, we guarantee Equity Mates will have something for you. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my Equity Mate, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. I would love to uh, ask Warren Buffett to listen to an episode and for him to confirm that that it has something for him. Yes, but we have the... Next best person, if it's not Warren Buffett. Uh, uh, Australia's <laughs> Warren Buffett, you can say. Self-described? No, as is now tradition uh, for our show, at the beginning of each year, we do our bold predictions for the year and uh, we get Andrew Brown on from uh, E72 Holdings. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, guys. Glad to be here. So, as I said... Uh, New Year, where we've uh, kicked off the Equity Mate season, and there's a lot going on, a lot so of grounds to on. cover. Um, so let's just have a look at what we did last year, just briefly. Sure. Um, I came on three times last year: thirtieth of Jan, seventh of May, and eighth of October. But who's counting? Thirtieth <laughs> uh, of Jan was this episode last year. So bold predictions. I said the market would go down, and it certainly did. It peaked on the nineteenth of February. Yep. Um, and certainly for Australia, that was the peak. We haven't reclaimed that. In the US, of course, we went down thirty-eight percent, and then have obviously bounced from the lows of the twenty-third of March. So I said there'd be a correction. I said buy gold. That's worked out reasonably well yeah. uh, through obviously a period that we didn't really foresee. I said there'd be lots and lots of volatility. Well, it's been above 20% on the VIX pretty much the whole way through uh, with the uh, odd spike. And I said the Roosters would win the NRL comp and they didn't. <laughs> um, on the 7th of May, uh, we talked a lot about election risk um, and um, I made some gave some stock ideas there. A couple are still gestating. They're called Sydney Airport and Treasury Wine Estate, so I'm going to return to one of those. I gave you a lick which has nearly doubled. 
uh, which was L1 Long Short Fund, LSF, which is on the basis the NTA would grow because of the portfolio and the discount would closed, and that's happened. Uh, we continue to reiterate uh, baby bunting uh, for all you millennials with kids. So that's 280 to 530. And also at the other end of the scale, we gave you that perennial dog boral and said things are changing. Well, they have. The stock's gone from 278 to $5. Wow. So that was good. The 8th of October um, was, I think, you know, from a stock point of view, was the most fortunate one of all. If you were listening, if you missed that, tough. Uh, we said that Biden would be good for the stock market, much better than Trump, when that was a very non-consensus view. I think that's now right. Uh, SoftBank at 7,000 yen, they're 8,600. Um, Exxon at 34.50, uh, they're 47. Nice. So that's a big move. Uh, vicinity Centers, 143 to 154 and a dividend. And the best one of the lot, of course, was Unibail Redemco yeah. Westfield, which gave you um, a short squeeze par excellence, which, of course, is the topic du jour. Uh, 271 to well over $5. They're about 460 at the moment, so it's 66%. The market's up 10 since then, to give you an idea. I remember what, listening to that episode and then just watching uh – Westfield. Westfield. Yeah. Just, yeah, that was my <laughs> go for it. And Andrew yeah, would just be sitting there right My favourite moment of the year, I think, was the 9th of November, a day not to be forgotten. So there you go. There you go. So we, it, we, this year. we introduced it with uh, Australia's Warren Buffett and Andrew's just Delivered. Put, put the case down <laughs> on the table. <laughs> Looking forward maybe to maybe a little year. bit more short term than Buffett. But. Now I have been <laughs> negative on BNPL, so of course that's obliterated all of the profits you've made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, tr- historically, you've been negative on Tesla as well. I don't know where you feel sit on that now. Oh, it's it's one of the great bubbles of all time. Still, um, I, I did a presentation at East Seventy Two's AGM. There's two slides on our presentation there about Tesla. Uh, people forget there's two hundred and fifty six million shares which are not counted in the share count, which are restricted stock units, options, Musk's package that'll get exercised, and everything else. So there's actually uh, a trillion dollar valuation on Tesla. Okay, you don't wow. have to wait for the stock to get to I think it's a thousand and sixty four is where it would theoretically trigger on the undiluted. So it's a trillion dollar valuation already. The enterprise value is over a trillion dollars, um, as has been proven out again in the fourth quarter result. They basically make money from selling green credits to other people, and one of their main buyers is now called Stellantis. It's Fiat and Peugeot merged. Um, the growth in deliveries has got to be huge this year, and yet it's very clear in some key markets the competition is doing pretty damn well, especially in Europe. So, and how many EV manufacturers are there in China? Mm. Mm, nearly as many as people. <laughs> so, I, I think, I mean, you know, it is it is one of the great bubbles of all time. Does it have a role? Yes. Is the valuation sensible? Not in your life. Crazy. Wow. If you haven't caught the bull versus bear case on the Equitymates TV show on ausbiz.com.au with uh, Andrew and Nirban Mahati, uh, go and check it out. It'll be on our YouTube channel or on their um, or on the ausbiz.com.au website. So, 2021. Yeah. Crazy things going on. Already. Yes. January's not The last four years of January have been nuts, by the way. Uh, 2018 in January, the S&P 500 was up 6%. In 2019, uh, it went up 8% at one stage before it 
um, fell apart. Uh, 2020 last year, you might remember it went sort of, it, it went mad, then flattened. And then, of course, we fell to bits in starting from the mid-February. And 2021, we've had just volatility plus. Um, not not so much in the overall market. If you look at S&P, it's about flat on the air now. But what you've seen is you've seen all these crazy surges in lunatic things, whether it's Bitcoin, you know, GameStop, and obviously some of these short things. Um, yeah, and that's that's creating all kinds of uh, all kinds of things. It looks like people go away, you know, come back after Christmas, and you know, sort of injected themselves with something <laughs> silly things. Now, there's yeah. a few there's a few things that we're going to want to talk about, but I think um, before we get your first bold prediction, we should just ground when we're recording this episode because things like GameStop probably will change so much between when we record and when we release. So Thursday, the 28th of January, is when Andrew's making these predictions. Um, so who knows if he if he predicts GameStop or half in value, that might have already happened by the time we release this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, should we get stuck into it? Uh, yeah. What's your What's your first bold prediction for twenty twenty one? My real bold prediction is that usually politics don't have a role to play in long term equity returns. Okay, unless the politicians change the way that equities are taxed or they change something like Peter Costello did in 2007, which enables you to put a lot more money into equities in an effective way. But I'm sorry to say, I think politics, believe it or not, despite the demise of Trump, politics will play more of a role in 2021 across the board uh, in investing than they did in 2020. Okay, it sounds absurd, but let me explain why. I think there are three key reasons uh, why that's going to be the case. The first I am going to flesh out, but not straight away, is economic interference. Okay. The second is China. Okay. And the third is COVID incompetence. Let's deal with the third first because it does flow into other things. It's abundantly clear that politicians outside of Australasia and Vietnam um, have been largely incompetent at dealing with COVID, both at recognising it, both at uh, taking measures to lock down and stop the damn stuff spreading in a big way and killing people. And now thirdly, of course, their incompetence is showing in terms of actually vaccinating the population at a rate that they thought they could and at a rate that the stock market thought they could. Okay, This ain't happening unless you're in Israel, in which case it's happening in drives. But the, the, the vaccination rate is just way below what people were imagining. Uh, it's going to take time for that to actually happen. And so all those people who've rushed into things that are going to benefit from a reopening of the economy are, are going to find that they might be six months too early. Okay, That's going to be an issue. Um, the psychological damage of COVID, I think, is yet to be seen. The obvious way is we're all talking about how we go to work, you know, two days a week and work at home three and all that sort of stuff. Um, what's the psychological damage in terms of travel? Okay, if I free up travel and I say, yes, you can leave Australia, do you want to go to Britain? Do you want to go to the US? Nope. Nope. Okay. Do you want well, to go, do you want to, go to Vietnam? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, I do. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's largely free of the stuff. To you know, it'll it'll cost twenty thousand dollars to fly to Auckland. You know, because everybody want to go there. So the psychological thing of that's going to be really big. Let's dig in a bit, guys, into the what I call economic interference, and this really comes in in um, two places. 
The first is that we have enormous amounts of fiscal stimulus right across the world and Australia's not immune from that. Okay, And so what that's done is it's put money in people's pockets that they don't have to pay back but they haven't really earned. And they've gone out and by and large they've spent it. Spent it on retail, given some of the spent recent on, results. <laughs> in, in Australia, job there's no question it's been spent on retail. Okay, I have some cautionary notes there, which we'll deal with when we get to Australia in, in a few minutes. Okay, But the economic interference in the US is such that basically US um, GDP, uh, US debt is now 128% of GDP. That's, that's, that's wild. Now, you can debase that by printing money. Okay, let's make that clear. That's the you know the new monetary theory, if you will, MNT. Okay, so you can debase it, but if you do that, you're going to get inflation. Okay, so the way that government extracts themselves from you and the economy is going to be really difficult. And of course, it's coming at a time when Joe Biden's saying, "Well, I don't want to. I want to put more money in your pocket, and I want you know a bit more equality in the economy." And the government's going to play a role. Ugh. Now, what's intriguing is everybody says, well, that's going to mean the economy in the US is going to boom. That's not happening right now. I keep seeing all these universally bullish forecasts about the US economy, and I can only say I think they're going to be disappointed because COVID's lingering longer, there's more lockdowns lingering longer. Don't forget there weren't many lockdowns in the US, but there are now. Let me let me just interrupt there and give the counter argument. If we don't see inflation, which we haven't really, there's some there's some whispers of it coming through. But let's say inf- uh, let's hold inflation constant. Um, the US putting more money in consumers' pockets rather than just buying bonds uh, will stimulate consumer demand, um, and it will that that will have a stimulatory effect. That, that will have a stimulatory effect. The biggest conundrum I have and the biggest conundrum every person looking at the stock market from a macro point of view, okay, rather than just bottom-up stocks, has at the moment is inflation. If you look at the US bond market, okay, the yield on a 10-year bond roughly is 1%. In the US, they have something called TIPS, which are Treasury... Uh, so Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, they provide you a coupon plus the inflation rate, okay? So your capital, your coupon is protected against inflation. If you take the yield on a nominal long bond, which is one, and you deduct from that the yield on a TIPS security, which at the moment is minus one, so one minus minus one is two, that gives you the implied inflation rate over the next 10 years per annum. Okay, You can find all this stuff on the best economic website in the world, which is the Federal Reserve Board of St. Louis Fred Economic Stats. Okay, Go to that, anything you want. Uh, the five-year, by the way, is about 2.15% per annum. So the bond market is telling you we're going to have 2% inflation. To give you an idea, in March, that same indicator was at 0.5. Okay, So there's been a massive shift in nine months. Now, every time those tips indicate uh, or nominal minus tips indicate 2% inflation, that's where it ends. Okay, Every time in the last few years, that's been about the top of it. 
and everybody stops panicking and they go back and it sort of slips away again to indicating one and a bit. So at the moment, we're sort of at the, the ceiling, if you will, of where people's expectations on inflation are. If we break through that ceiling and in reality we get real consumer price inflation, and don't forget the Fed are talking about inflation, they want inflation at average 2%. So that means it can be above 2 What if it gets to 3 What if the bond market really panics okay, and yields really jump? like from one to four. What do you think is going to happen to the stock market? Just remember, in December 2018, in the last quarter of that year, the stock market fell 20% mm. because the bond rate got to two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> okay? The market is so primed with low, low, low interest rates and it can't really cope with even some modest rises in bond rates. So that's why people keep talking about something called yield curve control, which means basically um, using the Fed to keep the yield on 10-year bonds down. Okay, So we're going to have more and more of this interference. Now, if I'm telling you at the moment, you know, it's really balanced, it's a seesaw between does inflation really start to break out or does it subside again? And we, we can spend all day talking about the pros and cons of that. Keep your eye on that mm. because that is, is what's going to determine whether there's a bit of a shakeout in the stock market uh, and then it turns from a shakeout into something really nasty or things just settle down again and you can, um, you know, you can buy the dip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's what's going to determine it. Uh, there's a lot of very smart people think this time that's it. Okay. I will give you some uh, thoughts in a minute on uh, why why I am far more cautious than I even was at this time last year, and I was pretty cautious last year. Mm, mm. And to my Twitter follower who says to me, Andrew, are you ever optimistic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, occasionally, but not in circumstances like this, which I'll explain. The second bit of politics is China. China must be kicking themselves. Okay, because they had four years to work out that Trump was a moron, wouldn't do anything against them whatsoever, and they only used it to get Hong Kong back, and towards the end use it to get one of Australia's largest, uh, sorry, China's largest corporations into their spider web, Alibaba. Okay, the next play is Taiwan. Are they bold enough to make some sort of play? with Taiwan to try and get Taiwan back, you know, create an incident out of nothing. I, I have strong feelings on this, but this isn't a political podcast, so I'm not going to devolve no. too far into it. I can just <laughs> no, see Bryce's eyes boring into me. <laughs> no, it's not. This is, this is not, a, you know, it doesn't matter what I think about China and Taiwan. It is a question of what if China made a bit of a more aggressive move on Taiwan? Would that be good for equity markets around the world? I'd, Big call. I just don't think – I think the US security guarantee over Taiwan will yeah. protect them because if they don't guarantee Taiwan's security, that puts question in Japan's mind, in South Correct. Korea's mind, in Australia's Abs mind. Absolutely, it does. I, I, I don't disagree with, with your – you know, we're not, not here to discuss China, you know, Chinese <laughs> Taiwanese politics. But it's pretty likely, I would have thought, given the way that China are being relatively belligerent and there's been very little opposition to them. They've just bowled over things. There's been nothing there, so they're going to test out Biden and his administration. Okay, you know, and Biden's quite hawkish about China. Don't forget. 
So there will be tension with China again, but in a different way. It's not going to be in 280 characters. Okay, it's going to be in a very different way. But that's going to that's going to rankle markets from time to time as well. So there you go, three political things, which is economic interference, which has the capability of mistakes. Okay, has real capability of mistakes. And if you think we're going to end up with zero interest rates forever and a day, think again. We're not. Okay, that's got implications. China and COVID. So politics is going to play a role and it's going to create volatility. I think the one common factor between 2020 and 2021 is going to be markets are going to stay volatile, okay? Uh, whether, you know, whether, whether it's up or down. Um, and I think the chance of dislocations in markets are very real. So the chance of, you know, 15 to 20% downturn in the market, not necessarily in you know, a few days like we had in March last year. But the chance of a real dislocation in the market um, is, I think, pretty real. Let me maybe just pad that out a little bit, okay? Uh, why? Well, the simple fact is that we've got groupthink. Everybody's on one side of the seesaw, okay? So everybody's all in already, Okay? Why, how do we know that everybody's all in? What do you think the short position in Apple is? Not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. Point <laughs> 2%. Five, no, yeah. no, it's 0.5 of 1%. Well, the short position in the uh, SPY, which is the S&P 500 ETF, mm. it's the lowest it's been in a decade. Wow. It's 2%. And the, med- the short position in the median stock in the US is 1.5%. Wow. Okay, so the shorts, this is, this is, don't forget, this is pre-GameStop. Okay, <laughs> um, I'll explain what GameStop's done in, in, in a minute because it has actually taken a lot of other short positions out of the market because people have run for protection. Yeah, I, I, have, I have one short position that is not particularly big, but I do have a short position and it, it's one where about 17% of the stock is short. So that's quite high. I don't usually go into things where it's that proportion of the capital are short and yeah that's that stocks you don't put on sort of 30 percent in in a week okay even though you know it's a company that's got fraudulent disclosure and it's actually got a dodgy product and everything else which means i can't tell you what it is because <laughs> i've just defined let's uh <laughs> let's keep on the yeah, the broader but, picture yeah, and the then we're going to shorten a bit so yeah. no the broader picture is basically that short positions are right down Okay, so that tells you everybody's all in. How else do you know everybody's all in? I've got a bit of paper in front of me here, uh, which is the predictions for the S&P 500 for the end of the year from 15 leading Wall Street (laughs) strategists. Nice. All up. All up. Yeah. Okay. They've all got EPS growth, EPS for the S&P 500 for 2020, which is obviously COVID impacted, is about 138. They've all got EPS. The lowest EPS here is 165. Uh, and Binky Chadder from Deutsche Bank has 194. Binky, whatever you are smoking, I want some of it. You are kidding. All right. I'm so, here for the Andrew Brown Binky beef. Um, absolutely. So, and it means that you have a PE basically of about 23 for the end of 2021. So we've got massive earnings growth captured by everybody. Okay, the, the mean is about 169 for the S&P. And, and in calendar 22, we're up to 197. 
Okay, and when the economy was functioning really reasonably in calendar 19 with a 23% tax rate in the US, the EPS was 163. Does that make sense? No, it does not. Okay, it doesn't. Even with an S&P that is 25% made up of um, the big... The big six. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, I don't want to just keep being the contrarian guy, but I, I'm going to be. Um, the so, Some of the earnings that we've seen out of the US so far um, have been pleasing. Yes. Um, they're beating expectations. Yes. Um, does that not fly in the face of your criticism of the Wall Street no, expectations? No, because they're expectations that were dragged down and down and down and then have been refined up slightly because of COVID. Okay. These guys are looking at a much, and girls are looking at a much more normal, or they think a much more normal economy in calendar 21. I'm not sure it is going to be quite as normal as they think. And we know over the years, on average, Wall Street strategists are about 10% too optimistic in their earnings. Okay? Fact. Go back, look at it, look at Fact Set, for example. Okay? This time they're way too optimistic, in my opinion, at 23 times earnings in my opinion. And we've got interest rates that are extraordinarily low, which it would be difficult to get any lower to make equities, you know, more attractive. So it says to me, everybody's all in. There's not a lot of short positions. Forget GameStop stuff. There's not a lot of short positions in the general market. And there's even less actually after GameStop. Strategists are universally bullish. Okay. Uh, you've seen the turn in the stocks that are basically economically sensitive. You know, they, they've rebounded quite nicely. Um, and everybody says, well, this is great. You know, we're all going to be traveling. And then over the last little while, all of a sudden, the vaccine's not distributed properly. There's not as many doses as people thought. Uh, we're going to need to do more things. Uh, and so I think the group think that we now have is actually going to get placed under much greater pressure. But then if that's the case, and if the economy is not as strong as I think, then is inflation going to really be 2%? Mm. This is the real conundrum. So you must, must, must keep an eye on bond rates and you, in the US, and you must, must, must keep an eye on US inflation indicators. Before we move on, uh, we're just going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, the way, the way you could see it playing out is 
if the market is weak and the economy is weak, as you were saying, and then where does inflation come from? Well, potentially it goes back to your second point around economic interference. Like yeah, absolutely. direct stimulus checks combined with a $15 minimum wage yeah. well, could be inflationary enough. Absolutely. Yeah. What you don't want to see is the economy not being very strong mm. and inflation. That's called stagflation. Mm. Um, you saw that in the 1970s. It's, uh, that, that's not horrible for stock markets. It's death. Yeah. yeah, well, and then what? Okay. Interest rates have to yeah, go inter- up interest to rate, Interest it. rates go up and, then and you've the got market. a weak economy. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, if interest rates start moving up in bond markets, you're talking about interest rates moving up in markets with all economies saddled with certainly government debt, which I accept you can melt away, uh, and in certain economies with consumer debt, which you can't. So... What I'm telling you is the bold prediction is that politics will play a big role, number one. Number two, that will continue to result in quite high volatility in equity markets. That's not going away. We'll have a dislocation yeah. at some stage during the year. So that w- that was a big discussion about the US. And there's, mm. there's an obvious reason why we talk about the US, biggest yeah. market. It sort of leads the world. Um, in Australia, do you think a lot of these predictions will hold true? Funnily enough, no. Okay. <laughs> we are, nice. I mean, the simple fact of life is, I mean, we are, we are seriously in a bubble. Mm. You know, I mean, the, the, some of the things I've said about, you know, COVID incompetence clearly don't reside here. Um, in this case, when you say we're in a bubble, you mean like a, a I, geographic bubble, like a good yeah, bubble. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> a, a good bubble. Uh, we do have some of the same issues. Okay. So, uh, but uh, my next bold prediction is, uh, and I think this is, I think you can virtually back this with with 100% certainty, is there will be a federal election this year. Yeah, Yeah, I've been thinking, yeah, the same thing. There will be a federal election this year simply because the longer this government goes towards the May 22 deadline, okay, which is when they have to go, the longer they go, the probability of them winning and winning well reduces. Okay? Well, the probability of Albo actually yeah. getting in front of a Stop. camera and saying something increases. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure the Wiggles are working on a new song. Is called Wake Up Albo. <laughs> um, you know, because, look, it's difficult. I mean, you know, being serious, it, it's very hard as an opposition leader to land blows when you're looking at, let's call it a wartime environment because ostensibly Mm. that's what it is Mm. okay so it's very hard so incumbency is huge at the moment which is why uh you know if the liberal party uh, are sensible they'll they'll go fairly early okay so you you might be looking at a mid-year election so that that's the bold prediction now the obvious bold prediction from that is that the liberals will win hands down okay what if they didn't don't forget the Labor will win Western Australia when that election is. They won Victoria. They won Queensland in a landslide. They won they won my favourite place in Australia, the ACT, <laughs> with an increased majority. I feel like the ACT isn't really a battleground territory, though. <laughs> it's, a ba- it's a battle if you're a Liberal in the ACT, that's for sure. It's a bit like being Trump in DC, yeah. isn't it? Um, so, I mean, the interesting thing will be, will that cause any eruptions here, you know? Uh, markets don't like elections because they're uncertain. People get uncertain. 
I think the consensus of, of Morrison winning with an increased majority is pretty reasonable, to be frank. Simply, and that's not a political statement by me, uh, it's a simple fact of political analysis that incumbency in a situation like we've had works really well. But it will maybe shake markets around a little bit, so we'll have a you know, little bit of an issue there. The other issue is economic interference in Australia means JobKeeper. Mm-hmm. It's been monstrously successful. I would argue it's been perhaps too successful. I don't oppose it. I think it's brilliant. Um, I think it's been a bit too successful. And as you start to pull it away, you must be so, so careful at analysing earnings looking backwards. So we're having some super retail earnings at mm-hmm. the moment, even from companies you thought were dead, you know, all of a sudden... Uh, and don't forget, they come in two or three bits, okay? JobKeeper works on their revenue line because people are spending the money. But JobKeeper comes in on their cost line as well. It's taking costs out of their business. Mm. Um, and also, obviously, the landlords are taking a hit, which is damn right too. It's about time they did. So that's really helping. So be careful. Don't pick. Don't put too big a multiple on those kind of things. The impacts have been spectacular. Yeah, even to really well-managed retail companies. I mean, just have a look at the results JB Hi-Fi posting mm. for mm. the first six months. And, I mean, they're a spectacularly well-run company, you know, let alone the guys who've scrambled a bit beforehand. So I'd be really careful about retail stocks in Australia. Okay, don't look at the numbers now. Don't capitalise the numbers now going forward too far because you'll end up making some mistakes and they'll fall in a hole at some stage. Um I think our economy is going to go through a tougher period of time, quite frankly. But with an, if you're calling an early election, will that not be a reason for the government to slow down the wind back? Um, I don't think it'll slow it down that much because I think they'll be able to rest on their record, if you will. Um, and they need to catch Labor while Labor are having a debate about how should Labor look going forward? <laughs> mm. You know, to, to go now. I mean, you know, if I was Morrison, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd interrupt this podcast and, and call. <laughs> well, if he wants to call the election on this yeah. podcast, yeah. he's more than welcome. <laughs> right. So I think that will create some issues. And 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 again, I tend to think what we'll see is I think you know our, our market may struggle a little bit. It's fixed. It's expensive. You know, the industrial side of the market's at thirty times earnings. Yeah, you, know, you look at you know companies like you know it. Yeah, when West Farmers spat out coals, you know, to envisage that West Farmers stock would be back in the mid fifties. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. I mean, sure, they've got a couple, you know, they've got two or three businesses that are massive beneficiaries of what's gone on. But wow, you know, the stock market's capitalizing that well into the future. And that's sort of a bit, you know, to me that's that that that's doesn't make too much sense. So I think we're going to go through a bit of a rocky period here in the stock market for the simple reason the US. I think we'll have a dislocation at some stage. The US may well end up back where it is. You know, it may just dislocate at some stage and then rebound as some of the things I've spoken about maybe start to resolve themselves towards the second half of the year. We might see the same thing in Australia. I'm not that negative about the overall index in Australia because you've got four banks that are not that expensive and have not been hit as hard as we might have thought. You've got three major mining companies that are dependent on the Chinese economy keeping firing, but the iron ore price is so far above any Mm. long-term norm that they're just making super profits right now. Then you've got West Farmers, um, you know, your your sort of woolies, 
uh, you know, things things like that. So the major, it's hard to create a ridiculous bear scenario for a loss of the top 10 stocks in Australia. So I can see them coming down, you know, 15% or so like that in line, but they're all kicking along reasonably well. And so it's hard to see a really nasty scenario for the Aussie market. I can see a worse one for the US market. Mm. But don't forget, we didn't go up as much because mm. you're talking about unwinding tech valuations. Yeah, yeah, a bit too high to be blunt. Not notwithstanding the the great companies, so I'm not as negative about um, the Australian market at an index level. Uh, but I'd be very wary about chasing retailers uh, and things of that nature uh, at this particular stage. The one thing I think the other bold prediction is one of the aspects of 2020 was it was a stock-picking market quite clearly. okay, And I think 2021 is going to be exactly the same. Genuine positive bold prediction, I think we're going to have a lot of takeovers. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Think about what we've just said. I've said we're on a knife edge between you know, 2% inflation in the US. Does it really come through or does it not come through? Okay. If you're going to do a takeover that's debt-funded, or partly debt funded, get on your bike quick. Mm. Isn't, isn't the other side, if you're going to do it, like if you're going to issue shares with these crazy valuations, it's the right time to do that Absolutely as well? Absolutely So right, on yeah. either side of the ledger. It's, yeah. Either side of the ledger, if you've got uh, if, if you've got stock arbitrage, if I can put it, or stock valuation arbitrage in your favour, uh, do it. I'll, I'll give you a great example that's happened, which I've been the beneficiary of and, and, and I'm spewing about. Um, I, I was a lucky shareholder in a company called Explore Wealth. The stock code's XPL. It received a takeover bid from Hub in uh, November, um, uh, Hub 24. So the takeover bid was a 202% premium to the prior close. Wow. Okay, the stock was 7.5 and, and the bid's at 20. Okay, but the bid is part cash, part script, or you can choose all script or all cash, but there's limits on that. Um. Hub trades at 7.5% of its funds under administration on its platform, okay? So it's sort of a billionaire company. Um, Explore Wealth, uh, when the bid came, uh, Explore Wealth was capitalised at $15 million and had $15 billion on its platform to wow. save you the arithmetic and get the decimal point in the right place. That's 0.1% of funds under administration. So that's a 70 times valuation arbitrage on that metric. So if you're a hub, I mean, I'd, I'd issue more and more script. Um, so you're seeing things like that. And in fact, what you've seen is a lot of takeover activity. There are virtually no listed financial platforms now. They've all been taken over in six months. Power App, OneView. Um, obviously, Explore Wealth is gone. There's, there's a couple still around. Premium, uh, Mainstream. So which you won't find a small cap fund that doesn't own mainstream and they're just waiting, 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 waiting. So what, is the theory that they'll just get taken over by Absolutely. a bigger player because then yep. the market values that fund's under management That's more? Fund's under administration. Fund's under administration, okay. yeah. And don't forget a lot of this, not specifically for mainstream, but a lot of this has been caused by the demise of AMP, okay? And the demise to a degree of IOOF. Okay, and so directly from the Hain report. So the new players, the Hub 24s, the NetWealths uh, and others are just gobbling up things. So 
if there's a lesson from that, which you guys of a slightly younger vintage than me know full well, when things move, they move real quick. Mm. Mm. E- e- even in corporate land, they move really, really quick. And if you don't move, you just get left behind. So, yeah, that's not changing. Okay, and the reason that's not changing is because, you know, everything's migrating technologically up into the cloud and everything else. So tech really does work and tech speeds things up into hyperspeed. So uh, that is going to continue, I think, with takeovers. Uh, Alec has quite reasonably said if you've got cheap debt and uh, for the company cheap equity, for the investor expensive equity, (laughs) um, you know, get out there and print it now while you can, Mm. okay? And particularly if there's some companies that are struggling in the mud. Mm. Yeah. I I will give you... Three companies that I think will be under threat of takeover in 2021. I've got one. <laughs> really? Yeah, it, was, it was in my bold prediction, remember? Yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. So You can't remember. What are they? <laughs> what are they? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get, okay, let's get stock specific now and actually explain in that environment. Okay, so we've couched the environment. Okay, so in a sense, it's going to be a bit like 2020. A lot of political interference, um, some dislocations, a lot of volatility. Okay, so how do you play in that kind of environment? Uh, how am I playing in that kind of environment? Just to preface some of the stocks I'm going to talk about, the kind of portfolio I have at the moment, I have short positions in fad stocks. Okay, I have, to, I have very small shorts in a large number of fad stocks. Okay, so some of them are going to get wrong. You know, then you know, I won't get stopped out because the positions are too small. But you know, I'll, and I'll, sorry, I'll just when you're saying fad stocks, just you're not. That's not an acronym. That's just like no, the fad of the, the day. The, fad. the GameStop, it, the yeah, Tesla. Yeah, that no, kind of not thing. GameStop. No. I mean, the one thing I'm very <laughs> careful about is 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 what is the short interest as a percentage of the outstanding capital. Okay, so you know, I I. Uh, at the moment, it's come down a fair bit. The short interest is only about 7% of the capital. But, you know, I can't see Maya surviving, seriously, in the long term. But uh, when when there was 17% of the stock was still, sold short, I just wouldn't play. And that was absolutely the right thing because, of course, you know, the stock bottomed at 12 and he's, what, you know, been to 50. So, and that's got, yeah, hey, you know, the guys are doing a better job, but, you know, it still doesn't, it's not going to diffuse the long term. Mm. So... I've got a lot of you know a lot of SaaS stocks in the US you know that that are just priced at crazy numbers that assume perfection in execution of a business model at hyper growth rates. Okay, so it's just it's all about saying hey, what's the market assuming? And it's assuming thirty to forty percent growth out till you know uh, till I've got great grandkids and <laughs> and you know that's not reasonable. Okay, and so it's priced for that. So I've got a whole bunch of things that say some of these are going to fall over and not make it. Um, others I've got, you know, fad. I mean, what one I'm happy to discuss. Um, I have a short Intrapanion, which is which is a pet insurer in the US that trades at about fourteen times book value. Every other insurer I look at trades at one and a bit. Wow. <laughs> uh, it, and it's it's basically, I, I outlined in our presentation, um, you know, what, what the valuation lunacy around this thing really was. So we've just got to wait for results to prove up the case. So that's one side of my portfolio. On the other side of my portfolio, I have five stocks that are controlled by billionaires which trade at about a 50% discount to NAV. Not 10 or 20, 50. Okay? 
those stocks are Exor in Italy, EL Corporation uh, based in Toronto in Canada, which is just basically a stock portfolio, okay, uh, with an insurer. Uh, Exor is the whole is the controller of Stellantis, Ferrari, CNH, and has a reinsurance business called Partner Re, which is very valuable in the current environment. Uh, the third one is a company in Norway called Treasure, which is controlled by the Willemsen family. A uh, bit of a problem with the Willemsen family. They don't get on with each other at the moment. <laughs> um, is, is that why it's at a discount? Well, it only, it's only got one asset. It owns, it owns 11% of Hyundai Glovis, which is the world's large, largest car-carrying boat company. Um, and when you take the Hyundai Glovis share price, actually the discount's more than 50%. Wow. Uh, and a company in the US called Varley, uh, which basically is a four-company interconnecting uh, thing where there's a 6% free float. Uh, and the main asset is Cronus, which is the world's third largest manufacturer of titanium dioxide. That's the white stuff that goes in your paint. Mm. Okay. And the final one um, is a company called Hal Trust, H-A-L Trust. Uh, Hal stands effectively for Holland Australia, uh, sorry, Holland America line. So it's the old cruise company that got sold to Carnival. It's the Van der Vorms, um, in Holland, they are extraordinarily secretive. They run a whole bunch of companies. They are the main shareholder in Grand Vision, which is an optical uh, business which is being sold to uh, Luxottica. Uh, and then they have uh, a major dredging company um, as well. Um, they're, they're a fascinating but extremely secretive family and you have to do a fair bit of homework to get, get to the numbers. But... Uh, it's uh, it's fascinating, and mm. they're about to get a five billion dollar injection of cash from the sale of their Grand Vision stake. Wow! Wow! So they're, they're, they're mon- all these things are monstrously cheap. If you're a GameStop player, they're also monstrously boring. Yeah. <laughs> so you've spent your summer uh, studying rec- reclusive European billionaires, I guess. <laughs> I've spent part of it studying reclusive European billionaires. Yeah, the others I knew about. So, so that's they're really cheap. So that's that's a barbell. I will give you some more conventional. Ones. Before we move on, yeah. I think a lot of people would be interested. You spoke about a Dutch stock, an Italian stock. Um, you know, stocks from. Uh, around the world, but not markets that we often speak about. That's right. Um, <clears throat> how, what's your process for discovering that stock, those stocks? Because you obviously have a lot of detail and you understand what assets they hold, but at a high level, where do you start that process? I start that process with a lot of reading, okay? Um, you know, people say you've got to do company visits. Well, you know, if I rang the Van der Vorms up, you know, they, they'd <laughs> send someone around to make sure I didn't. Um, you've got to just read and read and read and then something piques your interest because uh, it's, it's your kind of company, it's your kind of way of looking at things. Mine, obviously, I love deep discount plays, that's obvious, and I acknowledge not everybody does. And so I then have to do the really hard and analytical work. And, yeah, in the case of Hal, that involves quite a bit of accounting work. It involves delving around. It involves getting some other filings. It involves going back in history to discover when they bought various of the private businesses uh, and just going back and then building out some models as to, you know, what these things are earning and what they might really be worth. Mm. But, but if we, if we st- stick at a high level, when you say reading, like where are you reading about these oh. reclusive European billionaires? Oh, look, <laughs> e- everywhere basically, um, you know, market releases, hedge fund letters obviously, oh, yeah. um, you know, Bloomberg, business mags, everything. 
just just everywhere I can get information, and it's a matter as as you all know, and you're probably better at it than I am. It's a matter of how do you distill that down. So I mean, one of the key things, one of the big advice I'd give any of your listeners is, um, you will have an investment process of your own. Okay, it might be that you love hyper growth companies and you're really good at analysing them. Okay, stick to that. Don't come and listen to me talking about fifty percent <laughs> discounts to NTA because you you'll go wrong. Okay. Likewise, if I go into your hyper growth area, I might go wrong. I think you. Although when mad. I go into it, when I do occasionally go into it on the long side, it usually works. But so it's stick to something that you know that's good. You've got a process for doing it, and if that works for you, stick with it. The key thing is stick with it. Have the discipline. Don't deviate. Okay. Because there's lots and lots of different ways, particularly in markets like this and with the market access you've got globally now through one platform or other to, you know, to, to figure things out. All right. Let's get on to some Aussie stocks then, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I'm going to repeat two things that I repeated this time, that I said this time last year. Um, one is, I think, bold prediction, we will have a bank merger. <laughs> I did remember that one from last year. Do you remember year? that? Yeah. Okay, and it's not going to be in the big four, okay. But the interesting thing that makes it more likely now is that um, ME Bank is up for sale from its um, not-for-profit fund shareholders. So that's going to interest somebody. And, of course, uh, AMP is... Oh, you know, it's had a non-binding, non-everything approach from Aries at 185. Is it a sum of the part story? No, I suspect Aries will, if if it goes ahead, uh, end up taking the whole. And the market says it's not going ahead. By the way, of course, where the AMP share price is, um, then at some stage AMP Bank will be sold. Uh, unfortunately, they've missed the top of the market by a mile because bank price earnings ratios and price to books have been compressed. Okay. Um, but that's that is potentially available. And then you've got the three publicly listed bigger small players, so Suncorp, which might spin the bank, Bank of Queensland, and Bendigo, and then obviously you've got a couple of smaller players. So I'd, I'd be stunned if there's not a bank merger because I think one of the bigger small players will want to take one of those two that, that are available. So bold prediction, domestic equities, number one, bank merger. Okay, stocks. Um Two stocks which I think, well, three stocks I think in, in the domestic arena uh, are obvious takeover targets. Um, and I have a shareholding in all three of these to disclose. Um, the first is Simich, which is the old latent. Simich is farcically cheap and it is in a great area of the economy, which is basically slopping down concrete and building stuff. Because it's government funded. Why? Because the government's going to keep spending on this yeah. stuff. Okay. It may hit a roadblock at some stage because our population, of course, is not growing at the rate it was. Okay. But government won't think like that. It will it will spend for the future. And I don't disagree with that. The attractions of Simich, it's on about 11 times uh, calendar 2021 earnings. It is so badly analysed by the market, it's not funny. Okay, the, the analysis of Simich is really poor. I'm not critical because it's understandable why. Because 77% of Simich is owned by Hockteef, which is controlled by ACS, the Spanish company. Okay, So there's not much of a free float. 
uh, to right brokerage business with and the chance of being involved in corporate stuff's fairly small. So the reason it's badly analysed is Simich now has two 50% owned businesses which are massive. It now only owns 50% of Tease because it sold half of it to um, Elliott Management and it has 50% of a company called Ventia. Ventia is a $5 billion turnover company that warrants about three lines in the annual report because it's held off balance sheet. The value in that's huge. Uh, you can see in the financial review today, the short position in Simich is 18 days worth of trade. About uh, 7 or 8% of the free float is short. Why you would short Simich, I have no idea because the stock is backstopped by the fact that they keep buying back shares at a level when they can. The Spaniards don't necessarily want to spend that much of their own money on taking out the rest, so they'll do the Kerry Stokes way of gaining control, which is just to have buybacks and keep your own shareholding. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. It's legal. So um, I think you're underpinned by a buyback 11 times next year's earnings in a good sector. There is a chance of a takeover if the stock were to fall sharply uh, and there's a short position there when, as well. When you say there's a chance of a takeover though, wouldn't the Spanish company want to get rid of it? Like Because if they own 77%... They can't take all the cash flow. That's the issue. When you only own 77%, all they can do is get dividends and they haven't had one in 2020. Right. The other thing about Simich is all the negatives about Simich, which were pointed out 18 months ago, have all been cleaned up. Okay, so the, the Gorgon contract has been properly accounted for, written off now. Uh, the issues with factoring and reverse factoring that are in the accounts are now uh, basically out up front. There's no hiding them now, which they were doing a bit two years ago. They're not hiding them now. So basically everything's transparent now. Um, so I think that's pretty good. I have an ownership. Uh, number two, we discussed this time last year, and it was a, a woeful failure. Uh, it was Treasury Wine Estates. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's pretty obvious now. We know the reality of China. Now we know that thirty percent of their earnings won't be there in in for the foreseeable future. They've got to basically uh, put that premium range and mastige range elsewhere. They're targeting America. Not easy. Uh, they can target various other places, but they're about at their weakest now. So there is a possibility if the shares were to come down materially that now's your chance to grab those great brand names. It, if you don't think brand names have value, uh, have a look at Remy Cointreau, which is traded in France. It owns obviously Remy Martin, Brandy Cointreau. It also, for you millennials, it owns Mount Gay Rum, which I know you all drink. <laughs> and it owns Brunelati Whiskey and Gin. Uh, that trades at about 60 times earnings. Okay? That's that's ongoing earnings. So TWE, I think, is, is a real possibility, particularly if they get the transition wrong and it's risky. And, you know, they've got good management, but there you go. The third one is a new stock, is uh, Deterra Royalties. It's basically a 1.232% royalty, revenue royalty on BHP's, it's predominantly BHP plus two Japanese companies, Mining Area C. Um, I wrote about that in the last quarterly by E72. Uh, I went back and researched the history of all this going back. Australians don't know how to value royalties, bluntly. Canadians know how to value royalties. Which seems strange because if the royalty has an end date, 
isn't it just a discounted cash flow? Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it is. But it depends what numbers you put in. Okay. At the moment, iron ore is very high and that's keeping people saying, oh, we think the iron ore price is going to come down. Well, when you look at Deterra, it's not reflecting the kind of iron ore price we're getting, partly because the production does not get to peak level until 2023. So I think Deterra royalty... It, to be frank, if, if a Franco Nevada or a Wheaton Precious Metals don't gobble it up or somebody else, and if it got so low, what's to stop BHP gobbling it up and actually saying, good, we don't have to pay this anymore. Mm. Okay, So I, I think uh, the risk on Deterra is the management think they can buy other royalty streams and they waste the money. Okay, This is the best credit rated, best quality royalty in the world, bar nothing. Okay, bar nothing. All right, ain't a better credit rating on a royalty than BHP. So I don't think Australians have grasped that. I don't think they've done their DCFs properly. So I, I think that you know, if it's, it may still be around at the end of twenty twenty one. But you know, I'd sort of, uh, I won't bear my bum in Burke Street, but uh, it, it won't be by the end of twenty twenty two. Um, the fourth. Interesting thing is is to return to an old favourite, which I first mentioned on the very first external podcast of anybody other than Bryson Wren <laughs> on, on Equity Mates, which I think was 2017, guys. Yes. Right? Yep. yes. Okay. And one stock I mentioned then was PM Global Capital. Oh, yeah. 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 is the yeah. stock code. It's a lick. Uh, the stock's about $1.22 at the current time. The NTA's about $1.45. What I love is if you think about what I've said about the environment it has a portfolio i think that really fits that it's got really good resource exposures it's got a lot of domestic banking exposure not in australia but you know globally so the sort of jp morgan's of the world that sort of stuff it's got a lot of alternative investment managers which suits the takeover takeover theme so it's trading at a nice discount to nta it started to do a few things in terms of being a bit more sensible on capital management. Uh, it had a partial tender offer for its stock last year. You could tender back 10% of your stock. So that's a little bit better than they've been in the past. I, I do like the manager, uh, PM, yeah. uh, Paul Moore. Um, so, um, yeah, he's real different, okay, which is a real benefit in this kind of environment. So I think at those kind of discounts, that's well worth returning to, and it fits the environment. Mm. And my, my final stock, I've been in this ever since I opened E72 uh, and, and its predecessor company. Um, and last year, um, it's made more money than it's ever made in its life and the stock price doesn't reflect that and does not reflect the environment going forward. And it's an American company called Virtue Financial. V-I-R-T is the stock code. It is a market maker. It's about the only listed market maker in the U.S., it went from making about $2 million a day market making in the first quarter last year or prior to that to making 12 and three quarter million dollars a day wow. in market making profits in Q1 last year with high volatility. Um, it's on five times 2020 earnings, but they're very high. So on an ongoing basis, I think it's on about eight and a half times sort of kind of maintainable earnings, which is really cheap. It has technology others don't have. Uh, so it, it's superbly run and it pays a 96 uh, cent dividend on a $27.40 stock price. Okay, there, there's a real barrier to entry to what these dudes do. 
okay? Uh, it's just done the biggest automatically generated algorithmic trade uh, that it's ever done in a single trade, and that was actually done in Australia. Right. Uh, by its know. thing Posit, which was an $87 million trade, single trade, that was, you know, algo-matched. So... Um, it, it's a really smart company with great technology and I think, you know, we'll continue to benefit from the sort of environment we have going forward. Um, so there you go. I, I do think, you know, I do think it's going to be an interesting year. I don't necessarily think, you know, we're going to end with markets up significantly um, and I do think we'll have some dislocations, but I suspect we may end up coming in here and the indices are not too far from where they are now, but they may have been on a pretty big ride mm. one way or the other. And I just advise everybody, just just please be cognizant of the fact there's so much groupthink in markets. The consensus is all one way, okay? And um, on that basis, you have to be very cautionary uh, because of where valuations are and, and the consensus being just too obvious. So, um, you know, it might be time to just lay a few bets or if you haven't done already against that, I quite clearly have. Well, you have left us a lot to uh, ponder over for 2021. We had you on, what, three times last year. I'm sure we'll have you on three plus times (laughs) this year. (laughs) Please please note, all the stocks I've mentioned, uh, certainly the last five, I have positions in those. I have long positions in all five of those. So if they go up, because of your buying, I will benefit. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be the Wall Street bets of Australia. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I was thinking we've done a whole bold predictions episode without talking about Afterpay, Perfect. Tesla, GameStop. Perfect. So I'm proud of us all. <laughs> well, I, Andrew, I, I still think Afterpay is ludicrous. The valuation. <laughs> no, 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 let's leave it. Let's leave it. Let's leave it. Yeah. We will leave it there. Uh, just to kind of recap very quickly, though, uh, you've had politics to play a big part in the equity market dislocation, potentially 15 to 20 percent after high volume. Volatility continues. Federal election in Australia, um, US economy to, uh, sorry, the Australian economy to struggle more than we think. 2021 to be the year of takeovers. And then uh, you've left us with a bunch of stocks that we will put uh, on our socials for everyone to have a look at. Um, but Andrew, a big thank you. My pleasure. Um, in, enjoy a- and, and please everybody do, do the work. Okay. Don't, yes. don't just look at, at- a website or a subreddit or something or like that, to and, a podcast. and <laughs> spend your stimmy on trying to make tendies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not such a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think uh, you have a Wall Street bets. Uh, you have a Reddit account and you use Wall Street bets. I think I certainly have a Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, if people want to take Andrew's advice and read widely. A good place to start your reading might be the E72 presentation that he referenced a few times. Yes. As always, we would love to hear your bold predictions for 2021. And a reminder that Equity Mates doesn't stop when you finish with this podcast. You can email us at contact at equitymates.com. Follow us on all the social channels or visit equitymates.com. If you're stuck for podcast recommendations, we do have the Get Started Investing series as well, which is for all you beginner buffets. And our latest podcast is Comedian v Economist, where we hear comedian Adam and his brother Thomas break down macroeconomics, which at a time like this is super important to understand. So head over there and have a listen and you might be the next Andrew Brown. So uh, (laughs) massive thanks, Andrew. Looking forward to checking in in a few months' time and uh, seeing how it's all going. Thanks, guys. And... uh 
you know, great to see uh, the success and the branching out of uh, you know, what's a really great concept. So, Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. 